Now, let us enjoy chapters 20 and 21 of Lois Lowry's The Giver here at Carla Reads the Classics. Thanks so much for listening. Please stay tuned. Chapter 20 I won't! I won't go home! You can't make me! Jonas sobbed and shouted and pounded the bed with his fists. Sit up, Jonas, the giver told him firmly. Jonas obeyed him. Weeping, shuddering, he sat on the edge of the bed. He would not look at the giver. You may stay here tonight. I want to talk to you. But you must be quiet now while I notify your family unit. No one must hear you cry. Jonas looked up wildly. No no one heard that little twin cry either. No one but my father. He collapsed in sobs again. The giver waited patiently. Finally, Jonas was able to quiet himself, and he sat huddled, his shoulders shaking. The giver went to the went to the wall speaker and clicked the switch to on. Yes, receiver, how may I help you? Notify the new receiver's family unit that he will be staying with me tonight for additional training. I will take care of that, sir. Thank you for your instructions, the voice said. I will take care of that, sir. I will take care of that, sir. Jonas mimicked in a cruel, sarcastic voice. I will do whatever you like, sir. I will kill people, sir. Old people? Small newborn people? I'd be happy to kill them, sir. Thank you for your instruction, sir. How may I help you? He couldn't seem to stop. The giver grasped his shoulders firmly. Jonas fell silent and stared at him. Listen to me, Jonas. They can't help it. They know nothing. You said that to me once before. I said it because it's true. It's the way they live. It's the life that was created for them. It's the same life that you would have if you had not been chosen as my successor. But he lied to me. Jonas wept. It's what he was told to do and he knows nothing else. What about you? Do you lie to me too? Jonas almost spat the question at the giver. I am empowered to lie, but I have never lied to you. Jonas stared at him. Release is always like that? For people who break the rules three times? For old people? Do they kill old, too? Yes, it's true. And what about Fiona? She loves the old. She's in training to care for them. Does she know yet? What will she do when she finds out? How will she feel? Jonas brushed wetness from his face with the back of one hand. Fiona is already being trained in the fine art of release, the giver told him. She's very efficient at her work, your your red-haired friend. Feelings are not part of the life she's learned. Jonas wrapped his arms around himself and rocked his own body back and forth. What should I do? I, I can't go back. I can't. The giver stood up. First, I will order our evening meal. Then we will eat. Jonas found himself using the nasty, sarcastic voice again. Then we'll have a share of feelings. The giver gave a rueful, anguished, empty laugh. Jonas, you and I are the only ones who have feelings. We've been sharing them now for almost a year. I'm sorry, giver, Jonas said miserably. I don't mean to be so hateful, not to you. The giver rubbed Jonas's hunched hunched shoulders, and after we eat, he went on, we'll make a plan. Jonas looked up, puzzled. A plan for what? There's, there's nothing. There's nothing we can do. It's always been this way, before me, before you, before the ones who came before you. Back and back and back. His voice trailed the familiar phrase. Jonas, 
the giver said after a moment. It's true that it has been this way for what seems forever, but the memories tell us that they have not always been. People felt things once. You and I have been a part of that, so we know. We know that they once felt things like pride and sorrow and and love, Jonas added, remembering the family scene that had so affected him. And pain, he thought again of the soldier. The worst part of holding the memories is not the pain, it's the loneliness of it. Memories need to be shared. I've started to share them with you, Jonas said, trying to cheer him. That's true, and having you here with me over the past year has made me realize that things must change. For years I felt that they should, but it seemed so hopeless. Now, for the first time, I think there might be a way, the giver said slowly, and you brought it to my attention. Barely, he glanced at the clock. Two hours ago, Jonas watched and listened. It was late at night now. They had talked and talked and talked. Jonas sat wrapped in a robe belonging to the giver, the long robe that only elders wore. It was possible what they had planned, barely possible. If it failed, he would very likely be killed. But what did that matter? If, if he stayed, his life was no longer worth living. Yes, he told the giver, I'll do it. I, I think I can do it. I'll try anyway, but, but I want you to come with me. The giver shook his head. Jonas, he said, the community has depended all these generations back and back and back on a resident receiver to hold their memories for them. I've turned over many of them to you in the past year, and I can't take them back. There's no way for me to get them back if I have given them to you. So if you escape once you are gone, and Jonas, you know that you can never return. Jonas nodded solemnly. It was the terrifying part. Yes, he said, I, I know, but, but if you come with me. The giver shook his head and made a gesture to silence him. He continued, if you get away, if you get beyond, if you get to elsewhere, it will mean that the community has to bear the burden themselves of the memories you had been holding for them. I think that they can, and I think that they will acquire some wisdom, but it will be desperately hard for them. When we lost Rosemary ten years ago and her memories returned to the people, they, they panicked. And those were such a few memories compared to yours. When your memories return, they'll need help. Remember how I helped you in the beginning when the receiving of memories was new to you? Jonas nodded. It was scary at first, and then it hurt a lot. You needed me then, and now they will. It's no use. They'll find someone to take my place. They'll choose a new receiver. There's no one ready for training, not right away. Oh, they'll speed up the selection, of course, but I can't think of another child who has the right qualities. There's a little female with pale eyes, but she's only a six. That's correct. I know the one you mean. Her name is Catherine, but she's too young, so they will be forced to bear those memories. I want you to come, giver, Jonas pleaded. No, I, I have to stay here, the giver said firmly. I want to, Jonas. If I go with you and together we take away all their protection from their memories, Jonas, the community will be left with no one to help them. They'll be thrown into chaos. They'll destroy themselves. I, I can't go. Giver, Jonas suggested. You and I don't need to care about the rest of them. The giver looked at him with a questioning smile. 
Jonas hung his head. Of course they needed to care. It was the meaning of everything. And in any case, Jonas, the giver sighed, I wouldn't make it. I'm very weakened now. Do you know that I no longer see colors? Jonas's heart broke. He reached for the giver's hand. You have the colors, the giver told him, and you have the courage. I will help you have the strength. A year ago, Jonas reminded him, when, when I had just become a twelve, when I began to see the first color, you told me that the beginning had been different for you, but that I wouldn't understand. The giver brightened. That's true. And do you know, Jonas, that with all your knowledge now, with all your memories, with all that you've learned, still you won't understand. Because I've been a little selfish. I haven't given any of it to you. I wanted to, to keep it for myself to the last. Keep what? When I was just a boy, younger than you, it began to come to me. But it wasn't the seeing beyond for me. It was different for me. It was hearing beyond. Jonas frowned, trying to figure that out. What did you hear? He asked. Music, the giver said, smiling. I, I began to hear something truly remarkable, and it's called music. I'll give you some before I go. Jonas shook his head emphatically. No, giver, he said. I want you to keep that to have with you when I'm gone. Jonas went home the next morning, cheerfully greeted his parents, and lied easily about what a busy, pleasant night he had had. His father smiled and lied easily, too, about his busy and pleasant day the day before. Throughout the school day, as he did his lessons, Jonas went over the plan in his head. It seemed startlingly simple. Jonas and the giver had gone over it and over it, late into the night hours. For the next two weeks, as the time for the December ceremony approached, the giver would transfer every memory of courage and strength that he could to Jonas. He would need to help him find the elsewhere that they were both sure existed. They knew it would be a very difficult journey. Then, in the middle of the night before the ceremony, Jonas would secretly leave his dwelling. This was probably the most dangerous part because it was a violation of a major rule for any citizen not on official business to leave a dwelling at night. I'll leave at midnight, Jonas said. The food collectors will be finished picking up the evening meal remains by then, and the path maintenance crews don't start their work that early, so it won't be anyone to see me, unless, of course, someone's, someone is out on emergency business. I don't know what you should do if you are seen, Jonas, the giver had said. I have memories, of course, all kinds of escapes, people fleeing from terrible things throughout history. But every situation is individual. There is no memory of one like this. I'll be careful, Jonas said. No one will see me. As receiver in training, you're held in very high respect already, so I think you wouldn't be questioned very forcefully. I just say I was on some important errand for the receiver. I'd say it was all your fault that I was out after hours, Jonas teased. They both laughed a little nervously, but Jonas was certain that he could slip away unseen from his house, carrying an extra set of clothing. Silently, he would take his bicycle to the riverbank and leave it there hidden in bushes with the clothing folded beside it. Then he would make his way through the darkness on foot silently to the annex. There's no nighttime attendant, the giver explained. 
I'll leave the door unlocked. You simply slip into the room. I'll be waiting for you. His parents would discover when they woke that he was gone. They would also find a cheerful note from Jonas on his bed telling them that he was going for an early morning ride along the river that he would be back for the ceremony. His parents would be irritated but not alarmed. They would think him inconsiderate and they would plan to chastise him later. They would wait with mounting anger for him. Finally, they would be forced to go, taking Lily to the ceremony without him. They won't say anything to anyone, though, Jonas said, quite certain. They won't call attention to my rudeness because it would reflect on their parenting. And anyway, everyone is also so involved in the ceremony that they probably won't notice that I'm not there. Not that now that I'm with 12 in training, I don't have to sit with my age group anymore. So Asher will think I'm with my parents or with you. And your parents will assume you're with Asher or with me. Jonas shrugged. It will take everyone a while to realize that I'm not there at all, and you and I will be long on our way by then. In the early morning, the giver would order a vehicle and driver from the speaker. He visited the other communities frequently, meeting with their elders. His responsibilities extended all the surrounding areas, so this would not be an unusual undertaking. Ordinarily, the giver did not attend the December ceremony. Last year, he had been present because of the occasion of Jonas's selection, in which he was so involved. But his life was usually quite separate from that of the, of the community. No one would comment on his absence or the fact that he had chosen this day to be away. When the driver and the vehicle arrived, the giver would send the driver on some brief errand. During his absence, the giver would help Jonas hide in the storage area of the vehicle. He would have with him a bundle of food, which the giver would save from his own meals during the next two weeks. The ceremony would begin with all the community there, and by then Jonas and the giver would be on their way. By midday, Jonas's absence would become apparent and would be a cause for serious concern. The ceremony would not be disrupted. Such a disruption would be unthinkable. The searchers would be sent out into the community. By the time his bicycle and clothing were found, the giver would be returning. Jonas, by then, would be on his own way, making his journey elsewhere. The giver, on his return, would find the community in a state of confusion and panic, and having no memories from which to find either solace or wisdom, they would not know what to do and would seek his advice. He would go to the auditorium where the people would be gathered still. He would stride to the stage and command their attention. He would make the solemn announcement that Jonas had been lost in the river. He would immediately begin the ceremony of loss. Jonas, Jonas, they would say loudly as they once had said the name of Caleb. The giver would lead the chant. Together, they would let Jonas's presence in their lives fade away as they said his name in unison more slowly softer and softer, until he was disappearing from them, until he was no more than an occasional murmur, and then, by the end of the long day, gone forever, not to be mentioned again. Their attention would turn to the overwhelming task of bearing the memories themselves. The giver would help them. Yes, I understand that they'll need you, Jonas said at the end of the lengthy discussion and planning, but I'll need you too. Please come with me. He knew the answer even as he made his final plea. My work will be finished. 
the giver had replied gently, when I have helped the community to change and become whole. I'm grateful to you, Jonas, because without you, I would never have figured out a way to bring about the change. But your role now is to escape, and my role is to stay. But don't you want to be with me, giver? Jonas asked sadly. The giver hugged him. I love you, Jonas, he said, but I have another place to go. When my work here is finished, I want to be with my daughter. Jonas had been staring glumly at the floor. Now he looked up, startled. I, I didn't know you had a daughter. You, you told me that you'd had a spouse, but I never knew about your daughter. The giver smiled and nodded. For the first time in their long months together, Jonas saw him look truly happy. Her name was Rosemary, the giver said. Chapter 21 It would work. They would make it work, Jonas told himself again and again throughout the day. But that evening, everything changed. All of it, all the things they had thought through so meticulously, fell apart. That night, Jonas was forced to flee. He left the dwelling shortly after the sky became dark and the community still. It was terribly dangerous because some of the work crews were still about, but he moved stealthily and silently, staying in the shadows, making his way past the darkened dwellings in the empty central plaza toward the river. Beyond the plaza, he could see the house of the old, with the annex behind it, outlined against the night sky. But he could not stop there. There was no time. Every minute counted now, and every minute must take him farther from the community. Now he was on the bridge, hunched over on the bicycle, pedaling steadily. He could see the dark, churning water far below. He felt surprisingly no fear nor any regret at having leaving the community behind, but he felt a very deep sadness that he had left his closest friend behind. He knew that in the danger of his escape, he must be absolutely silent, but with his heart and mind, he called back and hoped that with his capacity for hearing beyond, the giver would know that Jonas had said goodbye. It had happened at the evening meal. The family unit was eating together as always, Lily chattering away, mother and father making their customary comments and lies, Jonas knew, about the day. Nearby, Gabriel was playing happily on the floor, babbling his baby talk, looking with glee now, and then toward Jonas, obviously delighted to have him back after, after the unexpected night away from the dwelling. Father glanced down toward the toddler. Enjoy it, little guy, he said. This is your last night as visitor. What do you mean? Jonas asked him. Father sighed with disappointment. Well, you know he wasn't here when you got home this morning because we had him stay overnight at the nurturing center. It seemed like a good opportunity with you gone to give it a try. He'd been sleeping so soundly. Didn't it go well? Mother asked sympathetically. Father gave a rueful laugh. That's an understatement. It was a disaster. He cried all night, apparently. The night crew couldn't handle it. They were really frazzled by the time I got to work. Gabe, you naughty thing! Lily said with a scolding little cluck toward the grinning toddler on the floor. So, father went on, we obviously had to make the decision. Even I voted for Gabriel's release when we had the meeting this afternoon. Jonas put down his fork and stared at his father. Release? he asked. Father nodded. We certainly gave it our best try, didn't we? Yes, we did, mother agreed emphatically. Lily nodded in agreement, too. Jonas worked at keeping his voice absolutely calm. 
When? he asked. When will he be released? First thing tomorrow morning. We have to start our preparations for the naming ceremony, so we thought we'd get this taken care of right away. It's bye-bye to you, Gabe, in the morning, Father had said in his sweet sing-song voice. Jonas reached the opposite side of the river, stopped briefly, and looked back. The community where his life had been lived lay behind him now, sleeping. At dawn, the orderly, disciplined life he had always known would continue again without him. The life where nothing was ever unexpected or inconvenient or unusual. The life without color, pain, or past. He pushed firmly against the pedal with his foot and continued riding along the road. It was not safe to spend time looking back. He thought of the rules he had broken so far. Enough that if he were caught now, he would be condemned. First, he had left the dwelling at night, a major transgression. Second, he had robbed the community of food, a very serious crime, even though what he, has take, what he had taken was leftovers, set out on the dwelling doorstep for collection. Third, he had stolen his father's bicycle. He had acquired for a moment, standing beside the bike port in the darkness, not wanting anything of his father's and uncertain as well whether he could comfortably ride the larger bike when he was so accustomed to his own. But it was necessary because it had the child seat attached to the back. And he had taken Gabriel, too. He could feel the little head nudge his back, bouncing gently against him as he rode. Gabriel was sleeping soundly, strapped into the seat. Before he had left the dwelling, he had laid his hands firmly on Gabe's back and transmitted to him the most soothing memory he could, a slow-swinging hammock under palm trees on an island someplace at evening with a rhythmic sound of languid water lapping hypnotically against a beach nearby. As the memory seeped from him into the new child, he could feel Gabriel's sleep ease and deepen. There had been no stir at all when Jonas lifted him from the crib and placed him gently into the molded seat. He knew that he had the remaining hours of the night before they would be aware of his escape. So he rode hard, steadily, willing himself not to tire as the minutes and miles passed. There had been no time to retrieve the memories he and the giver had counted on of strength and courage, so he relied on what he had and hoped it would be enough. He circled the outlying communities, their dwellings dark. Gradually, the distances between communities widened with longer stretches of empty road. His legs ached at first, then, as time passed, they became numb. At dawn, Gabriel began to stir. They were in an isolated place, Fields on either side of the road were dotted with thickness with thickets of trees here and there. He saw a stream and made his way to it across and rutted across a rutted, bumpy meadow. Gabriel, wide awake now, giggled as the bicycle jolted him up and down. Jonas unstrapped Gabe, lifted him from the bike, and watched him investigate the grass and twigs with delight. Carefully, he hid the bicycle in thick bushes. Morning meal, Gabe. He unwrapped some of the food and fed them both. Then he filled the cup he had brought with water from the stream and held it for Gabriel to drink. He drank thirstily himself and sat by the stream, watching the new child play. He was exhausted. He knew he must sleep, resting his own muscles and preparing himself for more hours on the bicycle. It would not be safe to travel in daylight. They would be looking for him soon. He found a place deeply hidden in the trees, took the new child there, and lay down, holding Gabriel in his arms. 
Gabe struggled tearfully as if he were if, as if it were a wrestling game, the kind they had played back in the dwelling with tickles and laughter. Sorry, Gabe, Jonas told him. I know it's morning and I know you just woke up, but we have to sleep now. He cuddled the small body close to him and rubbed the little back. He murmured to Gabriel soothingly. Then he pressed his hands firmly and transmitted a memory of deep, contented exhaustion. Gabriel's head nodded after a moment and fell against Jonas's chest. Together, the fugitives slept through the first dangerous day. The most terrifying thing was the plains. By now, days had passed. Jonas no longer knew how many. The journey had become automatic. The sleep by days, hidden in the underbrush and trees, the finding of water, the careful division of scraps of food, augmented by what he could find in the fields, and the endless, endless miles on the bicycle by night. His leg muscles were taut now. They ached when he settled himself to sleep. But they were stronger, and he stopped now less, less often to rest. Sometimes he paused and lifted Gabriel down for a brief bit of exercise, running down the road or through a field together in the dark. But always, when he returned, strapped the uncomplaining toddler into the seat again and remounted. His legs were ready. So he had enough strength on his own, and he had not needed what the giver might have provided had there been time. When the planes came, he wished that they could have received the courage. He wished that he could have received the courage. He knew that they were search planes. They flew so low that they woke him with the noise of their engines, and sometimes, looking up, looking out and up fearfully from the hiding places, he could see almost the faces of the searchers. He knew that they could not see color and that their flesh, as well as Gabriel's light golden curls, would be no more than smears of gray against the colorless foliage. But he remembered from his science and technology studies at school that the search planes used heat-seeking devices which could identify body warmth and would hone in on two humans huddled in shrubbery. So always, when he heard the aircraft sound, he reached to Gabriel and submitted memories of snow keeping keeping some for himself. Together, they became cold, and when the planes were gone, they would shiver holding each other until sleep came again. Sometimes, urging the memories into Gabriel, Jonas felt that they were more shallow, a little weaker than they had been. It was what he had hoped, and what he and the giver had planned, that as he moved away from the community, he would shed the memories and leave them behind for the people— but now, when he needed them, when the planes came, he tried hard to cling to what he still had of cold and to use it for their survival. Usually, the aircraft came by day when they were hiding, but he was alert at night, too, on the road, always listening intently for the sound of engines. Even Gabriel listened and would call out, Plane! Plane! sometimes before Jonas had heard the terrifying noise. When the aircraft searchers came, as they did occasionally during the night as they rode, Jonas sped to the nearest tree or bush, dropped to the ground, and made himself and Gabriel cold. But it was sometimes a frighteningly close call. As he pedaled through the nights, through isolated landscape now, with the communities far behind him and no sign of human habitation around him or ahead, he was constantly vigilant, looking for the next looking for the next nearest hiding place should the sound of engines come. But the frequency of the planes diminished. They came less often and flew 
when they did come, less slowly, as if the search had become haphazard and no longer and no longer hopeful. Finally, there was an engine day and night when they did not come at all. And that, my friends, does it for chapters 20 and 21 of Lois Lowry's The Giver here at Carla Reads the Classics. Thank you so much for listening to this great story with me. And if you'd like to make a contribution to the podcast, you'll find ways in the episode details that you can do that. Uh, If you'd like to make a subscription to the podcast, a monthly subscription, that would be wonderful. Or if you'd just like to make a one-time donation, you'll also find ways in which you can do that in the episode details down below. So thank you guys so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics and stay tuned for the final chapters of this wonderful story.